SAS Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SAS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit austinlawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CEOs and CMOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Manaj Ramnani, founder and CEO of Sales Intel, a go-to-market intelligence platform that helps marketing, sales, and revenue operations teams deliver up to a five times improvement in pipeline efficiency. Welcome to the podcast, Manaj. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate you including me and looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Before we dig into our episode, though, could you tell me just a little bit about you and your company that my little intro didn't cover? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Manoj Amnani, founder, CEO of Sales Intel, and I've been fortunate to build companies with various degrees of successes. We started Sales Intel almost coming to five years, and the premise was to provide a data intelligence platform for the revenue teams so that they can efficiently build the pipeline. Fast forward five years, over 800 clients and an amazing team with a huge market opportunity to provide the solution and make pipeline generation more efficient for B2B SaaS and and services companies. Pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. I mean, that is like the lifeblood of our mutual clients. And we had a chance to meet a fair number of those kind of people when we were together at the Ascent Conference a few weeks ago in San Francisco. And I'm wondering what your takeaways were from that conference. What were the SaaS leaders saying to you about the health of their business and where they're going in terms of pipeline? Yeah, first, I think the folks at Ascend did a fine job in pulling the right audience together. The fact that they kept the bar director and above level, you knew that you were mingling, you were having discussions with the folks at the right level. And they were very well organized conference where, yes, you could have the booths, talk to the vendors at the same time. They had those one-on-one sessions at the same time, group discussions. I think it was very well done. Kudos to the folks there. I got a chance to talk to dozens of CEOs of SaaS companies that came there, the CROs, the CMOs, and a couple of themes came out. One was, look, everybody is facing these macroeconomic headwinds, right? And we all have to do more with the less. They're trying to figure out how do we do more with less. Everyone also, for the most part, because the conference was director and above, they've been around the block for some time, that they were not in a panicky mode. Oftentimes when you see first-time managers, they just panic when they see these macroeconomic headwinds and don't know what to do. They've been around the block for 2008 and the pandemic. Everybody is was optimistic that if we control the burn and bring efficiency in pipeline generation and ultimately winning business, then this is going to be behind us. The key is how do you go through this time or next, God knows, six months, 12 months, 18 months. And the themes that were came out was some folks were like, okay, can software help us? Can intelligence and the data help us be more efficient? And then there's a where AI and generative AI, they were just trying to see how can we find efficiency there. 
And then the last was coaching and training. I heard more about coaching and training and uplifting the teams that you have like in this conference than any of the previous times that I have attended. So I think the more and more focus is uplift the teams that you have, equip them with the right sets of software and product and the tools in general for them to be successful so that we can all be more efficient. Yeah, I have to agree with you on everything you said there and more. It's sort of a yes and out of the land of improv. I experienced very little wringing of the hands about how things are difficult. I think different companies are in different situations and they're working through their own market acceleration or deceleration challenge, right? But everybody was very optimistic. And I think you're right. Also, the seniority of the execs gave them the perspective that they're going to be able to find a way through it. And for some companies, that means tightening the belt. And for others, it means being more assertive, aggressive to take advantage of maybe they're in a good funding posture when they see competitors weaker. So they're going to hit it a little harder. At the conference itself, and we were the official podcast of the Ascent Conference, I loved the various kinds of programming. I thought the brain date, especially, I wanted to just highlight as we were talking. I went to an alternative high school where we did our own curriculum in much the same way as a brain date was organized. And the teachers and the students would put the topics up that they wanted to have for a semester. And there would be a community meeting to make those topics come to life. And those brain dates, and I'm sure you did some, they were just that. It was like, what's on people's minds? Let's see if we can gather a table full of folks to talk about it. And um, I think the level of conversation, it's too bad we didn't capture all that content at each table. And it was also amazing to see how these leaders were willing to be vulnerable, right? And bring these topics. Yes. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Let's just debate to find a solution that collectively we can utilize the parts of that. Absolutely. So I'd say to any of our listeners on this episode, if an event includes a brain date, well, that's a good sign and something to take advantage of. The one-to-ones were good too. We didn't do any of that at this conference, but it was an amazing group of people that we actually had a chance to sit with. And I think I recorded between me and Jason, we did 12 podcast episodes that need to get published. Oh, nice. On the floor. Yeah, on the floor. Very cool. It was great. And again, the quality of the people, just remarkable. And doing it in person, I think there's a real desire, like this innate desire to do things in person. And maybe that flies in the face of what's going on in the office real estate market. I think people ultimately are social creatures and this working from our homes is maybe not everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we are seeing that work from home fatigue where, yes, the days of five days a week in office are gone. They're behind us. But at the same time, people are craving to have these one-on-one discussions or have these industry events where you can meet with the colleagues. And even for office, we are starting to see two days, three days. That's fine. People are willing to come for two and three days, and which may be the happy medium of being five days in office to 100% working from home. Let's dig into your world, though, where you help your clients. I really want to jump into that. And let's talk about account intelligence and its role in what we're really seeing as a move to a demand generation, like a tilt toward demand generation from traditional lead gen. And I know you've got some good insight here, so I just want to give you the mic. Tell us how services like yours fit in with the demand generation world that we're moving toward. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at the demand generation, especially in the times like this, we have to build pipelines efficiently. And how do you build pipeline efficiently? Well, it starts with having the intelligence about account. And I break down this account intelligence in two components, if you will. The first component is with 30, 40, 50 million companies that exist for a given product and service, a subset of that is in the ideal customer profile for any business. How do you find that ideal customer profile for yourself from this large universe of companies that are out there? 
And then from there, the second component is who within your ICP is in the market today? Because just because somebody is an ideal customer for your service or the product doesn't mean that they can transact and generate revenue for your business. So that's how we divide the world into different segments. So let's just dig deeper, unpack these two. In the first segment of who's your ICP, there are two ways of defining who your ICP is. The classic way is you figure out based on the geography, based on the industry, based on the revenue size, based on the employee size, who are the right customers that you can service well with your product and services. Second method is if you have enough customers from the past, you put those customers in the predictive model, the companies that provide predictive modeling that I believe is going to become more mature with the AI coming in. And then those models will give you essentially the characteristics of, hey, we see your past customers fall under this geography, this industry, this revenue and employment right size sizes. Once you've done that, narrow the universe from 20, 30, 40 million companies to 20, 30, 40,000 companies. But most of the times, so the revenue teams just don't have enough resources to go after that. So now how do you figure out what intelligence do you put on top of that to say, okay, who within this universe or a subset is the right customer for us to spend our go-to-market dollars, right? To put an ad in front of, to send an email, to invite them on the webinar or go have a BDR, try to get the meetings. And that's where the second part comes in to apply intent. Intent comes in different flavors. You have intent coming from a Bambora, which is third party intent. Intent comes from first party who's visiting your website. Intent comes from companies like G2 and LinkedIn as to who's browsing your company profile on those platforms. We are a big fan of Bambora, you know, partners for last five years or so and well integrated intent within our platform and our data. So the beauty of that intelligence is you're now applying intent companies that are in market to have more meaningful outreach. So you're effectively putting your dollars and your resources efficiently behind those companies that are potentially in the market. So I think those are two ways we segment the account intelligence. It's interesting because I'm trying to find definitive data on this sort of the percentage of people in market at any one percentage of companies in market and the steps leading up to that. So completely unaware of the problem, problem aware, becoming solution aware, and then information gathering ultimately to shopping. Do you have any sense at the bottom of that process, at the bottom of the funnel, what percent of your addressable market might actually be in market at any time? Is there a rule of thumb you use? It's a tough number to come up with because it all depends on actually two broad factors. One is, are you providing the service or the product that's so new to the market that people don't know about? Or you are in a competitive space where the solution may already exist and you or company is trying to displace that. I love that. I just want to stop you right there because this question, we get asked this question all the time. So if you were open AI three months ago, 100% of the planet is your addressable market, right? Everybody's in market for you. And if you're going to bring out a new accounting software to compete with QuickBooks or Zero or people like that, 1% or 2% of your market or right, your addressable market. And might then you have booked. to create the demand there. Yeah. And then you have to create you, demand. There has to be enough pain for somebody to move from books, right? So intense is hard to just newer companies 
company. So in that established market, companies that are coming new to the market, there you will see the intent because there are three, four, five, six employees are approaching almost first million dollars. They can no longer do their accounting on Excel sheets or Google sheets. And they're looking for their first accounting software, right? And where do they go? And Bambora, in our platform, we see lots of those companies. They come in and say, who's searching for such type of software? Those are the companies that are under 25 employees. But if you're in a well-established, but if you're in a newer market like generative AI, yes, everybody's looking because everybody's curious about what can I do? I hear every newspaper I pick up, every blog that I read, every podcast that I listen to is talking about AI. What can I do to make use of this technology so I'm not left behind? That's a great segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is how does AI figure in making account intelligence deeper and more valuable to the go-to-market teams? Yeah. So if you look at AI, AI is being used to get the account intelligence at two different levels. At the foundational level, we all have been using machine learning models to figure out the firmographic data, the technographic data that essentially guide you to figure out who are your ICP. One very simple example is how do you find which industry does a company fall under? You take the marketing collateral, you take the website collateral and put the text in a model to say, yes, this company is in the manufacturing industry or this company is in the B2B SaaS accounting. So we have seen the early earlier version of ML and AI models being used to develop the foundational data of thermographic as well as technographic for the ICP definition. We also saw for the last decade or so, companies use AI models for predictive modeling to say, okay, here's the customers that you have had. Now put those customer lists in the AI models. We will do the computing at the back end and show you here are the most likely customers that you should go after. And then at the background, they also use the firmographic data and technographic data to, to govern that. As the AI matures, you're seeing the generative AI. I think the second category, which is predictive modeling for the accounts, where you look at the historical data and predict who's the right customer for you, I think that industry is going to bloom. Now, if you look back and rewind the clock, a decade ago, VCs invested half a billion dollars in about a dozen companies in that space. And unfortunately, none of those companies made it, right? This is your radius. This is your Everstring. This is your Sixth Sense Pivoted, right? It's a much better place. Lead Space, which is a phenomenal company. They pivoted, but they are true. I think they're going to do very well with the emergence of the AI. Sometimes you're early because the technology is not there. You have a right idea, but the wrong time. Imagine if Uber came 10 years prior to it actually came. I don't think it would have been that successful because BlackBerry, and we were all using BlackBerry or those not so smartphones with the bandwidth constraints that we had, people wouldn't have had patience and the UIs would not have enabled for us to use Uber on BlackBerry. But iPhone enabled so much of success that Uber is enjoying today. It's the same thing. The predictive modeling companies in the B2B did not find success and the VCs lost half a billion dollars in the dozen or so companies. I think the time is right now because AI has become so much more mature compared to a decade ago. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And especially if you have a decent sized customer base to work off of, makes a lot of sense. I want to just go back a little bit. We touched on intent data, but is there a way for AI to make intent data more actionable and fine-grained? Is it in the Bombora taxonomy, a lot of times people don't feel that it's a perfect fit for them. It might be categorically yep. accurate, but not specific enough. No knock on Bombora, they have a very rich taxonomy, but my company might not fit. What can we do there? 
Yeah, I think the NLP model, I know Bambura has the first version where you can extract the text from the website and say, okay, which topics are relevant for this business and they are innovating and they are investing in that area. So I think that's one area where you know companies like Bambura that have a well-established taxonomy, but taxonomy is so rich when you have 8,000 to 12,000, 20,000 in some cases uh, nodes in the taxonomy, how do you as an end user of intent figure out, okay, I should go look for these it's a real problem. So I think NLP AI, we are going to see more and more innovation there. But where I get excited about uh, intent and the use of machine learning models and the AI is we internally call it predictive intent. It's not that somebody has gone in and read a particular blog comparing AWS versus Google Cloud. That's what the input data is for whether it's tech target intent or uh, more intent. Or it's not that somebody has gone to G2 to compare sales intelligence Zoom info. That's their intent. I believe with the emergence of AI, with AI becoming mature, there is a third category of intent that's going to emerge, which is predictive intent. Look at the data points that you already have about a company and predict what is going to be the next technological purchase for that business. So let's just take, unpack it a little bit. Take an example. As the company grows, let's just say a company grows from 20 employees to 50 employees and 50 employees to 100 employees, 100 employees to 250 employees, the sets of problems change and the solution required to solve those problems are different. Just like people, the people who got you from zero to 10 million are going to be not the same, like not everybody, to go from 10 to 100 million and 100 to a billion in revenue. So can we put all that data into AI models to predict predict what is the most likely software for a business to buy. Just to take a particular example, if your company just bought Salesforce and they're using that for CRM, they're using Hubs for Marketing, and you have six PDRs and AEs and you're growing, if those are the inputs, it's very high likelihood that you are going to buy a sales cadence software. So now that's a predictive intent for outreach, Salesoft, SalesView, and many other companies that are providing the sales cadences. System. And then when you unpack it as to what industry you are in, you can create an intent, predict an intent to say, it's very likely that this company buys this sales cadence software as an excellent. I think that's what we are going to see come in. And when it comes to intent, Ken, I don't believe it's it's one solution. I think intent can come from multiple sources for you as a revenue leader or a revenue professionals to form the right go-to-market strategy. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I was just having this thought when you were talking, like for some marketers, intent is almost a checkbox item. So if somebody comes in and wants to ask them a bunch of questions about what they're doing, they can say, oh yeah, I'm leveraging intent. But I think the point is there might be multiple ways to be arriving at intent and we should be thoughtful about that. That's very cool. And the other thing going beyond just what's installed now to what is the trajectory of the firm? I think those are two really great insights. So you have this trajectory, you can say, hey, if you know these guys are growing, here's what's going to happen. Or if they're contracting or if they're stagnant and all these other and inputs. All, and it's all account intelligence. When we provide account intelligence to our customers, what they enjoy the most and why our customers are three to five X more productive than others are, we give them that firmographic, the technographic data that they need to make those decisions, right? So if I'm selling onboarding software for HR, looking at employee growth over time, if you're going from 20 to 50 to 100 to 250, somewhere in there is my sweet spot, right? That's right. That's a really great point. 
Hey, I want to just ask you a pretty pointed question because it's one we get asked a lot and we experience from our customers, which is, can we still generate opportunity with the outbound sales motion? And if we can, I mean, that's a binary question. I think the answer has to be yes. So that if we're going to do it, what do we have to do to be successful outbound? Look, outbound is here to stay. Every sale, every business relationship starts with a conversation and you can't initiate a conversation without having this outbound efforts. In times like this, you are forced to be more efficient with your outbound initiatives, right? You can no longer just put through 10 BDRs and they are 50% productive. And so what has changed is, is the times like this have forced us to be more productive. And the way you get more productive is you put few very best BDRs or AEs on your outbound effort and you provide them the best intelligence possible because the email response rates are going down. They'll continue to go down. People don't pick up their phone. They'll continue to not pick up the phone because most of the times when the phone rings, you say, is somebody cold calling me? But if you put the science, it's an art in the science, right? The science part is give them the intelligence to figure out the right ICP based on thermographic, technographic data, put the intent, and then put the quality content in front of them, warm them up before you actually put. Then when I get an email that has value and I'm in the market, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to respond to that email because I need to solve the problem. So the customer insight, like the business knowledge, what are their actual categorical problems in our ICP? If we know that really well and we can speak to it in a compelling way, then we can run an outbound motion that has a better chance of success. I totally agree with that. I'm saving the best for last year. When I met you at the conference, you told me about your new pricing model. And I'll be honest, you remember I was stunned, right? Because you've totally changed how you price your service. Can you explain that at a high level? And let's dig in just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are very excited. We have already seen big success in the market. Still a long way to go. But we used to price our service based on the number of licenses that a client of ours procured from us and number of data credits, number of records with this company in context and in technographic. And what we found, Ken, was in lots of customers, especially in times like today, they needed predictability of what they are going to budget, what they're going to spend. That it was number one. Number two, what we found was because there are companies in our space that send a surprise bills to their customers, hey, you went over your credit and now this is your bill, the customers in the space have been very reluctant to use those credit to the detriment of their business customer, they license 100,000 credits, for example, and they end up using 20, 30,000. You ask them why? Like we were always scared if we let all sellers spend these credits, we may run out of them. And then the third was there were companies in the upper mid market that were trying out new markets that were rolling out new products. And for them to try the new markets, roll out the new products, they needed to add yet another line item in their budget to go acquire the intelligence as well as the data. So when we saw all that, we got the feedback from our clients and saw what was going on in the marketplace. Is there a way where we become a true partner to our clients? And is there a way we can disrupt this whole licensing model, the pricing model, where the customer no longer has to be nickel and dime? We give unlimited data, unlimited intelligence, unlimited software with a fee. Yes, it comes with every GTM member has to get the license because we want to make sure that if you're a 50% team, you pay accordingly versus you're a 5% team. But just because you're a 5% team, you're just growing, you should not be at a disadvantage because you can't afford the data.
So that was the thesis behind this. We see a lot of support coming from the industry on this model, and we are just getting started. Yeah, I truly was stunned when you told me what you were doing. I've spent a long time in the data business early in my career when I was at Citibank and as a marketer for a few decades. And I actually think the time is really right for this. I think your instincts and strategy are on point. There's certainly a limit to how much an individual contributor can use of the data that they're going to engage with. So what are you really risking as to your business? I don't think as much as the opportunity to shake things up in the market intelligence business. So I think it's pretty awesome. Sales is tough. We both are, when you unwrap our titles, we are in sales, whether you're in any go-to-market function, your prime responsibility when it comes right down to it is to generate revenue for the business. And it's hard. So why make it harder for those revenue professionals by keeping these pricing models? We believe that this pricing model that we have come up with is revolutionary. We believe that it's going to disrupt the market. We believe that it's going to enable the revenue professionals to go build limitless pipeline. If your product market fit is established, if you've hired the right people, if you've trained them, then we are your partner to give you the data intelligence and software you need to be successful. That's great. So my last and favorite question, looking back over the last few years, what would you do differently now that you have the perspective of being where you are? Oh man, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish we had rolled out this pricing model in a stock of mind earlier. I think we would have captured a lot more market early on. Second is we're very excited about solution for individual contributors. You know, very small businesses, they need a solution like this. In the next month or so, we'll roll out a self-service portal where the idea is if you're a solopreneur or if you're a three-person team, you still need a data intelligence solution. You don't have to wait for the salesperson to talk to you and go through a long sales cycle. You can come in, watch the video, swipe the credit card, and get the benefit of using this platform to build the pipeline and be successful. I think those are two things that come top of mind. It's a common thread. Almost all of us say, boy, I wish I had done X, Y, or Z sooner. It makes a lot of sense. Hey, Minaj, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. If people want to learn more about your company or reach out to you, how can they do that? Salesintel.io is our website. I'm pretty active on social media, so please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd find time to connect with everybody and have meaningful conversations. Looking forward to hearing from most of you. Thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. And anything I can do to help here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Likewise, it was a great episode and appreciate your time. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever you get your podcasts. I can be reached on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. And the agency's website is austinlawrence.com. Thanks again, Minaj. What a great episode. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempet at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.